I remember, you know, going to shows as a kid, like going to see Cirque du Soleil shows with my parents and looking at these people on the stage just thinking that is what I want to do. Like, I can't imagine anything else in my life apart from this. I love the diversity of the team that you get to work with. I love that I, I have friends all over the world and everyone that I've met in circus has just been these crazy colorful characters. I like that when I'm on stage, I am just a different person. I have no inhibitions. I'm just like, I'm not myself or I'm, I'm a version of myself that I would never be in real life. Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera and on this episode we'll be talking to Jessica Ward about acrobatics. Jessica is an Australian acrobat based out of Dubai. She has extensive experience in different acrobatic disciplines such as hand balancing, so-so and aerial silks. She was the lead acrobat at La Pearl. Welcome, Jessica, to our show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to see you in Dubai. We're, we're spread across the globe just for this conversation. So <laughs> <laughs> we want to start by asking just simply for our audiences, for those who don't work in this genre of entertainment, tell us what is an acrobat and what do you do? So basically in my role I get hired by companies, events, shows or venues to perform any kind of range of different acts and this can be something from like doing say a one-off gig for an event all the way up to doing uh, like an open-ended show contract where I could be doing 10 plus shows a week for several years at a time. I would consider myself to be a generalist uh, which means that I have uh, kind of skills across many different apparatus. This was kind of a, a semi-conscious choice when I first started out because I realized quite quickly that I had a set of skills that I started with and people would ring me and say, hey, can you do aerial silks? And I was saying no for so long that it got to a point where I realized I should learn that and then I can say yes and then I'm going to be more employable. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have done like feature and specialty acts in shows in the past, but I don't think that I would really say I've invested or focused on one specific thing enough to say that that's my sole thing. So, yeah, I, I am what we would call a generalist. And you're from Australia. So how did you get into, into acrobatics in Australia and, and how did you get into the industry? Obviously, you've got a quite a credible list of uh, shows under your belt and, and, like you said, under different different roles and different different positions with different companies. So how did you start out? Uh, so I grew up in Sydney where um, at the time my mom, my mom grew up in Perth. So in Western Australia, they have a syllabus where like how you would learn a ballet syllabus, they had an acrobatic syllabus that I believe still exists. So this is like kind of if you see an old school contortion kind of film of how they do like bent back handstands and everything's on hard ground. There's no apparatus. There's no mats. That's kind of essentially what she learned through her dance school. So. We eventually ended up in Sydney and my mom realized that this didn't exist there. So I was learning ballet. I'd started ballet when I was three years old and she she offered the school like, hey, if you guys want acrobatics classes, then I'm really happy to teach. So that was kind of my introduction into more like stage type work. And then from that, she just discovered 
gymnastic, acrobatic gymnastics. So this is like a, a discipline of gymnastics, uh, which we, we moved into for a number of years. Like that took up, I would say, most of my, my younger years competing and training in that. Going from sort of dance into more competitive brought more, more technique, more sort of gymnastic technique to what I was doing. And then circus kind of came later on, which is like a whole different beast. That was just something else that I couldn't have anticipated how, how different that was going to be from what I was doing, which was quite shocking to me at the time. So did you imagine when you were this little girl and going to the gymnastics competitions that you'll end up at Luxor in Las Vegas or in Dubai? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I remember, you know, going to shows as a kid, like going to see Cirque du Soleil shows with my parents and looking at these people on the stage just thinking, that is what I want to do. Like I can't imagine anything else in my life apart from this, but From that point, I actually I stopped. Actually, I stopped competing. I, I when I finished school and I I stopped all kind of acrobatic work at about the age of seventeen, eighteen. And I was an air hostess for a short time. And during that time, I had applied to the National Circus School in Melbourne, in Australia, called NICA. And um, that was kind of my introduction to to where I am now. But absolutely no like I could not have anticipated how insane this was going to get <laughs> from from watching my first show to to being in this process now it's been just more than more than I could have dreamt so I'm extremely grateful so you went to Nika and then you started auditioning for shows or roles like how, what did what was your first sort of paid gigs so I once I graduated from Nika I I was kind of, I guess I was at a lucky point in time. Like there was this bursting gig scene going on in Melbourne and my family was still in Sydney at the time. My dad was a Qantas pilot. So it was super easy for me to jump between states and just take any gigs that I could get. So I was doing some kind of like side work, like working in cafes and um, and retail, just trying to like keep my head above water when the season was off for gigs. But during that time, like I... It was a, a kind of a weird realization that I had after finishing NICA that I kind of felt like I had it all going on, you know, like I, I had a degree, I'd had a bunch of training behind me and I was ready to go and ready for anyone to hire me, but it didn't happen as quickly as what I wanted it to and what I expected it to. So the gig scene was great for a bit. And then when that started to dry up, um, I had applied for more shows and uh, gigs than I could count and gotten so many rejections and so many just like knockbacks where I was thinking this is never going to happen for me. So I had kind of a bit of a a lucky break in a way that a friend of mine, Lee Marning, who's an incredible performer in Melbourne, uh, she called me one day and said, there's a gig going in Abu Dhabi at Ferrari World and it's for silks. If you, I can't take it, but if you want the email, I'm going to give it to you and you can apply. So I did and that was kind of yeah, the start of how the ball started rolling a little bit for me, but it was a very, very slow start. And there were many points along the way where I just thought, I think that that's probably the end of my performing career now. And then boom, out of the blue, like something else would come up and, and everything would get rolling again. So it's been, it's been um, 
unpredictable. I'll, I'll say that much. It is such a volatile uh, part of the industry that we work in, you know, because we're all gig people, but your particular ability to take a job is not only your capability of doing it, but are you the right look, are you the right, look, are you the right height, are you right mm-hmm. for the show, are you in good fitness and health? And there's so many other factors that weigh into your eligibility for that role, right? And then you're by Absolutely. nature... Pro- generally a creative person so you know you might get on a good show but then you you know you're going to be on it some people are happy to sit on the same show for 10 years and other people are not do you see yourself as a person that is that likes to do even if I know you've done some shows that are maybe toured or La Pearl exactly uh, but do you find yourself somebody that wouldn't stay 10 years in one particular show that you want more variety if if you had have asked me this probably five seven years ago I would have said no I want to just like go for six months and do temp contracts and jump around the place. And I wanted to experience it all. But now, like, I think I've realized that I'm 32 now. So that is at a point where, like, I've done the gigs, I've done the jumping around between different jobs and the instability of that. So suddenly that's feeling less attractive to me. So I think I like I like the option of being involved in something where I know I'm getting paid every month, even if it's a year contract, and then at the end of that year I can resign I can move on but the instability is starting to bother me a little bit and I think now like officially being between jobs again it's kind of refreshed that feeling of just like okay like I've got to get my hustle in again and and get this happening and I think the other the other part of it too is like I'm five six which is not particularly tall in the real world but in acrobatic world that is like a giraffe like I am so much taller (laughs) than than most of the girls that I work with so that can be a real setback for me when they're looking for like tiny little girls to throw around that maybe like five foot nothing and it doesn't matter how good you are it doesn't matter how nicely you can point your feet or how neatly you can do a trick if you are above five foot one you're not going to get the gig so I think for me now, like if I can find something that I do enjoy, like I love being creative, uh, I love having some flexibility in how much I can contribute to what I'm doing. But it, uh, yeah, it comes to a point where it's like, okay, I think I would rather the security of of holding on to something great than to let that go and and be bouncing between things that I'm. I feel like I'm an awkward fit. I've done well for myself, but I'm I'm somewhat of an awkward fit in in many ways. Your last role, you were the lead acrobat and um, you were in charge of training people and developing acts or modifying acts as needed. Do you see yourself going more towards that like coaching direction maybe or an artistic direction or just moving on? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I, um, I think I would be really interested in kind of an act development type role if I could ever find one in the future. Um, I was extremely lucky to have the opportunity to um, create an act for Lapo that was an idea that I had that I pitched that we got to do it and I got to perform it for Franco Dragone and he approved it and it was just this kind of moment of like this is insane like this I can't believe this is happening so I was able to perform the act in the show but on top of that able to train two of the other girls to back up the number as well so I've always, I've loved teaching people who want to learn and people who have not even necessarily a base of, of skills. Like I love, love teaching professionals, but people who want to learn, like that, that's the big kicker for me. So yeah, I think through that experience, it's, it has drummed home a little bit that 
if there was a position like that that I could develop work acts and different apparatus with with people on a professional level I think that would be incredibly interesting in for me to experience or consider for the future so you're you're wrapping up your Middle East experience right now how do you feel like you started in Abu Dhabi and right now you're at a point in Dubai where where you might be shifting a career might be not sure what's going to happen but you're leaving Dubai so how, how does that feel uh, it feels like uh, very uncharted waters at the moment, which is a little bit terrifying because this um, there's been a lot of changes that have gone on here and um, I feel like it's the right move for me to move on, so I'm confident in my decision. But, yeah, it's just it does bring back all of those feelings of like, oh, God, like where am I going to go? Where am I going to work? i got to get in shape and start training and what am I going to do? And I just, yeah, it's a bit scary, but it feels right at the same time. And it's funny because like when I left Abu Dhabi all those years ago, this was like 2012, I think, that I worked there. I left thinking, wow, that would be really cool to go back in like five years' time and see how the city's developed and, and what has changed. And I was back here like a little more than five years later, but it was just this weird thing of like, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. Like you just never know where the road is going to take you. So there's a, a seed of excitement within me that I'm quietly optimistic on what the future might hold post-COVID once we all bash through that thing. <laughs> once we bash through that. It's, 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 that is really uncharted territory. So you, it's a double header for you right now. <laughs> yeah. So you've also done some modelling and television and video and corporate events besides sort of the circus shows. And so how do they um, relate and how are they different from each other than, you know, working with Lapel? you know, from lapel to corporate shows to, to video stuff. How does that feel as a performer? It's got its absolute similarities and differences. I think the main, the thing that I kind of, I'm challenged by in a way that I don't particularly like, but I do think is good for me with doing one-off gigs and live TV, I feel like you have to get it right the first time. You don't have another shot at doing this thing. So there's this, I think, a need to be cool and collected and feel relaxed going into this stuff. And of course, Murphy's Law, it's never the way it goes. Like your, your heart's thumping in your chest and you're nervous and because you're nervous, it doesn't go the way you want it to go. It's made me appreciate when I have had the opportunity to do longer term contracts and shows that, yes, you have one shot at that particular show, but you, I, you know, LaPelle is a perfect example. I had 700 other opportunities to get it right so I like I said like I enjoy the process of the act development so to be able to experience that is a really nice side Uh, you know I'm a bit of a perfectionist so I think that's something that I struggle with if things don't go well and if it is like a a live tv thing or a one-off gig where I just leave thinking oh no like that was terrible like that's really (laughs) hard for me to take um but regardless of all of it like I think the the approach to the work is always the same like you need to be positive you need to be personable and kind and and really try and build a relationship with the people and the team that you're working with I think that's like hands down the number one importance of all of this that you know through doing that you're building your network whether you realize it or not and you never know where people end up later down the road so I've certainly experienced people calling me five years later saying hey Jess we work together on this thing and I'd love to get you involved and and that's amazing so I think yeah regardless of of the work it's just the approach to it that sort of is that bottom continuous line through all of it. 
So you've said you considered yourself a generalist. Is there though a discipline you you like more or you hold closer to you, to your heart? Uh, I think in my my old acrobat age of 32, I, <laughs> I'm enjoying more aerial stuff where kind of, where I think we're in a, a place of supply and demand right now. Like there's a lot of people out there doing aerial work. And um, I think it's pushed people and myself, especially like into an area of wanting to find ways that both feel good for me and my body to do that is different to what other people are doing. So if, you know, if I had to pick something, I'm going to pick two things. I'm going to be greedy and say maybe so-so and silks is my top two. Uh, If you had asked me a few years back, I probably would have said hand balancing just because when I was gigging in Melbourne, there weren't many venues that did aerial. So I would have people ring me and say, hey, we want an act. Uh, It has to be five minutes long. Uh, And it always had to be hand balancing because there weren't, there weren't any venues. My body doesn't like that so much anymore. Like, and, and my brain doesn't either, to be honest, like if you lock me in a room with a set of canes, I could train all day. I would train until my arms fell off, but as soon as I need to perform it, I am like instantly nervous. I did hand balancing with such a delay and I was like, I can't explain the pressure that I would put on myself to get it right. I would liken it to something like tight wire or juggling that if you get it wrong, everyone knows you get it wrong. Whereas if I'm on silks or hoop, I can enjoy it. I can maybe like do something a little bit wrong, but I would say majority of the people in the room probably wouldn't know that something hadn't gone to plan. Yeah. I just, I think I want to really enjoy the remainder of my time on stage. So if I can do more aerial stuff, then I would pick aerial stuff over anything else at this point. Out of interest, though, in terms of margin of error in a hand balancing act, like, you know, what percentage of it doing it wrong would you, you know, when you went into a show, is it a 5% chance or or are you doing stuff that was so risky that it was a 15, 20% chance? And is that why you were nervous? Or, you know, because in my mind, you would like, the people have it so in their body that they just get up there and nail it every time. So it's surprising to me that you say, I, I felt nervous every time I, I did that. So, mm. so. So, yeah, what was your level of risk in that for you? I don't even know. I think it's just a mental game more than anything, to be honest. Like, I know, like, 10 times out of 10, if I did a handstand, I would hold the handstand. But as soon as I have that mental pressure, and, I, you know, I think that the it was really, like, up the ante when I was like, oh, my God, you are backing up a hand balancing act in Cirque du Soleil. You cannot get this wrong. And the pressure was only coming from myself. I had every ounce of support from my coach and the artistic director and everybody else in the team. So, yeah, it was just like having the balls to like get up there and be like, no, you've done this and you know you can do it and just pushing past that element of fear. The act that I did in Cirque was like nothing that I had ever done or could compare to anything else that it was like kind of looked like a dinosaur skeleton that was essentially a seesaw. So you had two people on either side of you that were balancing and had to kind of correct your your movements for you. So it was absolutely a team effort and it was completely different to doing an act on canes where like that is completely your responsibility. I, you know, I watch other hand balances that I'm, I don't really consider myself a hand balancer, but I watch professional hand balances out there and just think, oh my God, like that's like the dream, you know, <laughs> I, would, I would love to have that just relaxed state of like, I'm cool, I'm in control, but I don't know. Maybe it was just the frequency in, in what I, in how much I did it, I, I don't know, but I've never conquered that fear. 
That's when I think you consider that then a specialist act for, you know, those people that nail it every time, right? And because you're a generalist, you're like, it's that, it's the side hustle, right? <laughs> I dabble. I dabble. <laughs> the dabbling in the hand balance. Just, just you yeah. know, I, I dabble in hand balancing too in my dark. Not. <laughs> we all do dabbling things like that. No. Um, what's it, what would you say you like most about your job? I love the diversity of the team that you get to work with. I love that I, I have friends all over the world and everyone that I've met in circus has just been these crazy colourful characters that I think you learn so much from because they've grown up in a setting completely different to yours. They work in a different way to you. They communicate in a different way to you and that really opens your eyes to many, many different things that go so far beyond just work. I Believe it or not, I as a child was painfully shy, like such an introvert, just hated any social situation. I still have like points in my life now where that, that haunts me, but I like that when I'm on stage, I am just a different person. I have no inhibitions. I'm just like, I'm not myself or I'm, I'm a version of myself that I would never be in real life. So I think to escape reality and to have that opportunity to do that is, is pretty cool. So yeah, there's many, many things that I love about this job. It's it's totally bonkers and you just got to learn to go with the flow and, and be ready for anything at any moment because you make a plan and something will, will throw it off course. But it's it's a pretty exciting industry to be in. And if you could change anything, what would you change? I'm not going to go too far into some of this because I do want to work again. A big want of mine is that people who are artists and performers and Maybe this goes into other areas that I'm not so in tune with, but if there could be some kind of an education on the worth of what we do. And I think as a performer, like your years on stage are very brief. The last 10 years, I feel like I've blinked and I'm here and I don't know what happened to that time. So I think, you know, I'm not specifically talking about this time during the pandemic because I think there's going to be a lot of economic fallout that happens and affects all of us and rates and all of that kind of thing. But that aside, I think people need to consider the fact that, like my situation, for example, I've been involved in this. I've been training for this since I was three years old. If I think of the time that's gone into that, the money that my parents paid for my costumes, my hair, my makeup, my my tutoring, like everything that I've gone through, that doesn't make it okay for someone to offer me $100 to do a gig or not offer me even minimum wage in the United States to work doing 10 shows a week. That is not acceptable to me. So people who do this and who do this in the capacity of shows, uh, big corporate shows, you need a lot of training and a lot of preparation to be able to be even eligible to get a look in to, to working for these people. So I think there needs to be some kind of I don't I don't know how to say it other than just education for I don't know if it's people and what they're willing to accept or corporations are willing to offer but you know it, it really can devalue the entire industry and and the work that we do if someone if I say to someone I am charging this for a gig and someone who is maybe not aware of the situation or the rates or not as experienced comes in and, and offers a third of what I'm asking for, it damages the entire industry and it, it damages what everyone before us has worked so hard to achieve. So yeah, I think that's a really big issue that 
I don't know a way to resolve that, but I do think it's an issue that maybe I just feel like it's a bit more highlighted right now with the pandemic going on and with with changes and and offers that I am expecting in the future that will come out of this. And I guess the other thing that I would say is um, I wish that there could be some kind of a, a restructure of the management of of corporate com. I say corporate companies, but it could have to do with other other companies as well. That I think it's such an integral part to have people with artistic influence within management teams. So whether that's, you know, directors or company managers, I think we need as artists someone to have our backs and to really fight for us and say what's reasonable, what's not. And I think some of this, you know, in any environment, it is not about, it's not all about what you know. It's often who you know. And I've seen on multiple occasions that, the fairness of the hiring into positions and certainly management positions are not always taken in the best interest of of the people who are going to be affected by it. The artistic director that we had at Lapo actually uh, for the, the final, though he's left recently, but for the final half of the time I was working here, is this brilliant man that he he was an artist himself, and I think the best people in management positions that I have worked with have been artists themselves in some capacity. And the closer that they have been to being, say, a circus artist or a performer on stage, the better they will represent you. So I just think that that's such an important part of, of being treated well and, and being treated fairly and, and the expectation of the work. Yeah, I, I'm feeling a bit passionate about this this topic at the moment. No, it's, it's, it's a very good, it's a very, I mean, it's such a wonderful reflection, especially at this time. And I think that, you know, sort of sparked something in me in terms of, you know, I feel like that that ability to manage or an artistic person being able to be in the management um, realm. What I feel is, you know, and even the payment and every, all things that you've just brought up, it's it's something that, you know, it compounds for me into one thing. Why, when you're doing training in circus arts or training in these sort of things, are you do you not have modules of business management, mm-hmm. you know, and and accounting and 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 a management side of artistic? Because you going into the industry, it is a business, right? And so, yeah, and a lot exactly. of a lot of performers and artists don't know how to manage either themselves or work their way into management positions, and they do it by default and they learn on the job, and all of that's fine. But you're going to start off in such a better position and defend the industry if people going into the industry know how to set the bar and and also um, manage well so do you do you think that you know having an earlier education on that would compound you know would help the issue absolutely I think that's you know the root of a lot of it and that's you know my first point saying educating people on what you're worth and what to ask for what to look for in a contract what is a reasonable fee for you to do 10 shows a week or however many shows a week that's like Absolutely. Like things like international tax, like all these things come into it that you don't you don't face until you're in it and you're actually dealing with it. You know, I think another part of it too is having people hide into positions where, dare I say, they're not qualified to be there. Uh, maybe they have worked in entertainment in some some corner of entertainment before, but somehow maybe it is by a case of it's not what you know, um, have ended up jumping from one corner, skipping all of the interim work, and then they end up in management roles and end up in director's roles 
it's, it's all detrimental. You know, it's really difficult to have people calling the shots and telling you their expectations when you don't see that they fully know your side of it and don't don't see your side of it. So, yeah, I I think it's education, but I think it's it's also really hiring from a, a broader spectrum and have like seeing a full approach of like who do, who are we looking at here and who is the most qualified for the job and not who is your friend and who can you sneak in the side door and who has the tools to defend the creative process because once you get into management positions that's really ultimately what those people need to do they need to defend the progress and the process of creativity for, to those people who are the money people the corporates the, the people that are doing and that's that's always such a difficult role. Uh, and if you don't have the tools and resources and knowledge and expertise in how to do that, you can be the best artist in the world and the best, you know, best director. But the real task is being able to explain and defend that process to the people above you. Otherwise, you will not get the time to create something magical. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, case in point, I think looking at what has happened with Cirque du Soleil in recent months, like you had Guy La Liberté at the front of that charging forward and he was he was such a great businessman but also had this great artistic vision of where things needed to go and he kept a lid on how how much they're expanding as soon as you put that in the hands of business people where I I know that business people are an extremely integral part of of our reality in corporate circus but in any corporate environment for that matter but I think when you lose that person with the artistic vision you end up you you've got a so late experience going on like they they try and grow so fast and that they're only looking at the bottom line and it becomes all about the money and not about the product that they're selling when the product that they're selling was the reason for their success in the first place so yeah i, I hope that all of this is going to maybe maybe level everything a little bit or, or bring some more attention to what what is the grounds of what we're really passionate about what why are we doing this and what do people want and they're going to need to be bringing shows back that are going to make money you know this time <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> oh i see some jazz productions going on uh, i will see <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for your time it's been great to have you Thank you for having me. It was awesome to chat to you guys. Yeah, lovely to hear your insights. It's great to, great to talk to you and meet you for the first time. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Please write our review on our podcast, whatever you listen to your podcast, and let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Live by visiting our website at www.theatreartlive.com and you can also follow us on social media and leave your questions and comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter or YouTube. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Girata, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life Podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create life entertainment around the world. <laughs>